For those of you that know me well, you know that I really enjoy traveling. I like to go to other countries. And from one of those trips, um, it just is really fun to, to travel places and to look out the window of the airplane. So one travel, Susan and I headed to Rwanda. And that trip took us over Switzerland. And so I, we had the good for, fortune of being able to look out the window and see the Swiss Alps. And as I looked down out of the plane, I thought, wow, someday I really want to go visit Switzerland. Unfortunately, I was on the wrong side of the, the plane to see the Matterhorn. And I thought about climbing onto the laps of those on the other side of the plane, but I thought maybe that's not such a good idea. Then on another trip, uh, we passed over southern Greece. And as I looked out the window, I saw these islands. And it seemed that each island had one villa. And then there was this white sandy beach on this really wonderfully clear blue lagoon. I thought, wow, someday I really want to go to Greece. And that's where we're going today with Paul. We're going to visit Athens. And so I was looking at photos of Athens and I'm thinking, wow, this is a beautiful city. Athens at the time of Paul, as one commentator, F.F. Bruce, writes, was the velvet crowned city. It was full of masterpieces of architecture and sculpture. The city represented the highest level of culture at the time. There were unsurpassed places of literature and oratory. It was the native city of Socrates and Plato. It was the adopted home of Aristotle Epicurus and Zeno, those are still philosophers that we are familiar with today. But even for all of its grandeur in history, Athens was also in Macedonia. And with Paul, we know he had a vision. And it was a man in Macedonia. And that man was saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. And so we've gone from Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey into Macedonia, which would be the European continent. And Paul, with Silas and Timothy, have been helping the Macedonians. We've traveled from Philippi to Thessalonica to Berea. And now Paul has traveled by himself down to Athens by sea. And they need help in Athens. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16 to 21... We're with Paul in Athens. The longer Paul waited in Athens for Silas and Timothy, the angrier he got. Maybe angry, but literally his, his spirit became irritated. And it was irritated because all those idols, the city was a junkyard of idols. So he discussed it with the Jews and the other like-minded people, the God-fearers that came to the synagogue. And not only did he talk at the synagogue in discussion groups, he also every day went out on the streets into the marketplace, the Agora, and talked with anyone who happened along. He got to know some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers through these same kinds of conversations. Some of them dismissed him with sarcasm. What an airhead. Again, literally, what a chatterer. What a, ba a babbler. What a collector of 
bits and tidbits like a, a bird, a scavenger bird that picks up and throws seeds about. Others uh, went on to say, uh, as he was talking about Jesus and the resurrection, Jesus and Anastasis to their ear, he is a preacher of strange divinities. He's got a new slant on the gods. These people got together and asked him to make a public presentation in the Areopagus, Mars Hill, where things were a little quieter. They said, uh, this is a new one on us. We've never heard anything quite like it. Where did you come up with this anyway? Explain it so we can understand it. Downtown Athens was a great place for gossip. There were always people hanging around, natives and tourists alike, waiting for the latest tidbit on almost anything. So to the details of F.F. Bruce's commentary, we find these details about Athens in Acts 17. It is a city full of idols. Remember, it's a city that has temples to the Greek and then the Roman gods. And, and Paul, being a Jew, being a Pharisee, being a Jew that's following Jesus, being a faithful adherer to the Torah, I mean, it would be going all through him. You should, you should have no other gods but me, his monotheism, his personal God. You, you don't know, you don't want to make idols. So he's, he's, in, he's finding these idols. And it's also a city full of philosophers, as well as a city that's visited by people who want to hear or express new ideas. A place where people go for the avant-garde, the, the novelties of the day. As Paul is in the city, as I said earlier, he becomes irritated. His spirit becomes irritated. It's, it's because of those idols. It's because of his background as a Jew, a background as a Pharisee, a background of, of a Jew that's now following Jesus and is really serious about obedience to the Torah. And with that irritation, he conducts daily discussions, both in the synagogue with Jews and God-fearers. Now, for me, we've run into this same verb that we saw in Berea. And it really it gives a different idea of Paul as he goes about sharing his message. In these two places, he goes into the synagogue not to preach, not to teach, but to gather people around to have discussion. The discussion is about all these idols in Athens. How do you deal with that? It's about Jesus. It's about Messiah. It's about the king and the kingdom. It's about... The resurrection. And in those discussion groups, it's not just Jews, but it's also God-fearers. That would be Greeks who have come to the synagogue because they, want, they have an interest in They want to know God. They want to know the, the true God. If they wanted to become Jews, they could go through that as well. So Paul conducted everyday discussion groups at the synagogue. But he didn't just stay in a synagogue. He also went out into the marketplace. He went to the Agora and he had conversation, discussion with anyone who happened to be in the marketplace. The Agora, the marketplace, 
was the place where children play. It was the place where men went who were seeking work. It was a place for public events, a place for lawsuits. It was the center of public life in Athens. And that's where Paul went. Irritated in his spirit about all the idols, going to gather whoever he could into small discussion groups to talk about, what what about all these idols? What about this interesting God? What about Jesus and Anastasis? It's in the marketplace that he met some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. F.M. Bruce will go on to write, These two philosophies represent alternative attempts in pre-Christian paganism to come to terms with life, especially in terms of uncertainty and hardship. Without going into the details of Epicureanism and Stoicism, I think most of us through our education have heard about both. For the Epicurean, when life was uncertain or life was difficult, the solution was do whatever is pleasurable. The uncertainty and the difficulty of life can be dealt with through whatever pleasure takes the pain away. The Stoic, on the other hand, said, no, we don't want to just dismiss uncertainty and hardship in our lives. We really need to think about it. We need to take it in. We need to deal with it. We need to handle it. And so they had the Stoicism of facing lives, uncertainty, and hardship. They looked upon Paul, F.F. Bruce goes on to say, as a retailer of second-hand scraps of philosophy, a type of itinerant peddler of religion not unknown in the Athenian marketplace. So two things there. One, because Athens was known as a city of new ideas, there was this itinerant peddling of different religions. People would show up in the Agora and share their new ideas. The second thing was that because of the history of philosophy in Athens, these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers tended to look down, because of their history, upon those that wandered into the marketplace. They they address Paul in two ways. Both of them are demeaning. The first is, this word on the street about Paul from the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, he sees one who picks up seeds. As I said earlier, it's the picture of a scavenger bird that picks up bits and pieces and then drops and scatters those. So the idea is that Paul is a babbler or he's a chatterer or he's a gossip. And it's, it's really a term of contempt. They don't, they don't, they're not reflecting respect for Paul. The other thing that they say is that Paul is a herald or a preacher, a proclaimer of strange divinities. When, G- when, when Paul mentions Jesus and Anastasis, they have no reference point for the name Jesus or the event Anastasis. Anastasis is the Greek word for resurrection. 
when, when Paul says, my, ne- my message is about Jesus and Anastasis, and the philosophers are saying, well, he's a herald of strange divinities, F.F. F. Bruce will go on to explain these two words sounded as if they denoted the personified and deified powers of healing and restoration. And that's the way the Greek gods worked or the Roman gods worked. It's the personification. So maybe Paul, in their mind, has a message about two new divinities, two new gods, two new deities, the god of healing and the god of restoration. They're not hearing the message about Messiah and the message about Messiah's resurrection because they're totally from a pagan background. But there was something about Paul's message that sounded uh, like it needed to be checked out. So Paul is invited to the Areopagus. We know that as Mars Hill. It's the hill of Mars. It's the hill of Eris, it's the hill of the god of war, is where Paul is invited to come. Come share with us this message about these two new divinities. Now that invitation has some strings attached. N.T. Wright says this, Athens may have been interested in new ideas, but divinities from elsewhere could easily get you into trouble serious trouble, especially if someone proclaiming them was starting a secret society with mysteries only open to the initiatives. So let's invite Paul to address those that come to Areopagus and let's, let's discover if he's introducing a new secret mystery Cult, And if he is, we want to nip that in the bud as quickly as we can. F.F. Bruce goes on to explain, in Roman times, the Areopagus was the most important governmental body in Athens. Among its many functions was that of supervising education, particularly of controlling the many visiting lecturers. So while Athens may have seemed to be a city that was open to new ideas, there was still this control mechanism through the governmental body of the Areopagus, supervising what people taught on the street of Athens, particularly somebody like Paul that shows up in the Agora and is discussing with others what they seem to understand is too new divinities. So he's really being invited to the Areopagus, not so much out of, hey, we're really interested or intrigued with this message as much as we need to check out what this visiting itinerant preacher is talking about. Now, as we read that history, as we travel with Paul to Athens, as we kind of get some of the dynamics of what it's like for him, to be irritated by the idols that fill Athens, to see him leading these discussion groups with Jews and God-fearers 
and even in the marketplace with some of the philosophers, being invited to the Areopagus. I think there's some things for you and I to stop, to consider, to wonder about, and to put into action today, not just in the past. So this passage brings out several questions. The first one is, how do we deal with the idols in our city? How do the idols in our city affect us? And I stop because maybe it seems strange for those of us that live in San Marcos and in New Braunfels and Wimberley and Cibolo and Schertz, San Antonio. Maybe it seems strange to us that we would even talk about idols because are there really idols? So I begin to think about, well, I, for me in New Braunfels, I, I think there's a couple of idols. One of them is this round black object and with that round black object is this little box and in that box are cans on ice what I'm talking about I'm sure you can tell is the inner tube and it's the beverage that goes with the inner tube and it starts going down our rivers and for some reason it seems to me that that's become an idol in our community that by golly it's almost an inherent right that I can float down the Comal River in New Braunfels, Texas, and I can consume these beverages in these cans, and I can try to throw away my beverages and these little barges along the side, but I can't seem to quite get it into the barge because I'm a little bit under the influence of that beverage. But it's my right to be able to, to, to do that regardless of the people around me and regardless of the condition of the river that begins to fill up with cans from thousands and thousands of people worshiping that tube and that beverage on our river. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe that doesn't trouble you. But it seems to me as we come to the end of the summer season in New Braunfels, there's a little bit of a breather in the atmosphere. It seems to me that when that idol or those idols are worshiped on our rivers, all through the summer, there's just something that begins to infect the atmosphere. I think we are under the effect of those idols. Maybe another one, and again, maybe you don't share this, but we're beginning the, uh, the next football season. And I, I, for one, have given up on professional football. And it's, it's simply because it just seems that we've made idols out of our professional American football players. And I don't want to worship those idols anymore. I just don't want to be a part of that. So now I've got to endure this long season of American football. I believe it has an effect on us. I believe it affects. And I'm wondering, I'm just wondering if we, like Paul, if we begin to identify the idols in our cities, does it begin to irritate our spirit. And, what, and once we begin to feel that irritation, what do we do with it? What do we do with a spirit that's irritated by idols, by false worship? So it leads me to another question. Where are our discussion groups? You see... When I, when I discovered that Paul 
irritated by the idols in Athens is not walking through the Agora with a big placard that says, you're going to hell if you worship these idols. Likewise, you don't see Paul with some sort of uh, mobile pulpit preaching in the marketplace. All of you sinners are going to hell because you're worshiping these false gods. Paul isn't protesting with a sign. He's not preaching in public. He's gathering people together, whether he's in the synagogue with Jews and God-fearers, or he's out on the street with the philosophers of the day or just the common people in Athens, and he's leading people into discussion. Hey, there seems to be an awful lot of idols in this city. What's up with that? And there seems to be this exchange where Paul can share his ideas, his concerns, his irritation. He can share his message about Jesus and Anastasis, Jesus and the resurrection. He gets his turn to talk, but, but in a conversation, in a discussion, others likewise talk. And so he's listening. He's talking and he's listening. And I'm wondering... Are we people who get irritated in our spirit by the idolatry of our day and our, and our desire is then to get into some kind of conversation, but not just with one another, but with people out in the centers of our city. Conversation about the most important things of life. That leads to the next question. As we get into discussion, as we get into conversation, what are the main points of our discussion? For Paul, I, I just don't envision him ever having a discussion with the Jew, with the God-fearer, with the philosopher, with your everyday Athenian citizen without the main points of his discussion being Jesus and resurrection. So I'm wondering, are those the main points of our discussion? Do we enter into conversation with people in our neighborhood, in the classroom, at the football stadium, floating down the river? Because I like to float down the river. In the store, at the gas station, in the office, on the job site. Do we bring into the conversation Jesus and resurrection? Paul is not having conversation about what church he goes to. He's not having conversation of what kind of worship service he enjoys. He's not having conversations about what mode of baptism or the Lord's Supper. He's not having conversation about the fine details of theology. He's having conversation about Jesus and the resurrection. He's having conversation about Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the king. Jesus is, he's introduced his kingdom to the world and it's no longer different. And we've got to remember that as, as, as Paul is talking about Jesus and resurrection, he's talking 
out of his experience, I know that I know that I know that Jesus is alive because Jesus talked to me on the road to Damascus. Jesus radically stopped me on the road and changed my life. Are these the main points of our discussion groups? Jesus and the resurrection. And the last question is, how do we handle questions? How do we handle ridicule? Several of you are attending university. And I think all of us understand that when you're in in university, there's going to come a point where your faith is questioned, where your faith is ridiculed. And I've got to say to you that I'm, I'm really not that concerned about you because I know that you know and have experienced relationship with Jesus. And you know that you know that Jesus is alive. And from that experience, you may not be able to answer all the questions of the philosopher, all the questions of a professor. You might not be able to stand some of the ridicule of your classmates, but this I do know. I do know that you cannot deny that you know you have a relationship with Jesus and you know that Jesus is alive and that has made a huge difference in your life. See, maybe we can't answer every philosophical argument. I'm not sure we need to. What I think what I think what we need is we need to be able to enter into conversation with the philosophers of our day. To enter into conversation with everyday ordinary people in the marketplaces of our culture. And in that marketplace with those philosophers and with the everyday people in our lives, we need to say, what do you think about Jesus? What do you know about the resurrection of Jesus? Have you ever heard that Jesus is the Messiah? What could that mean to us? Did you know that Messiah means king? And if Jesus is a king, he's introduced a kingdom to our generation. What what does that mean to us? That kind of conversation all of us can have. And I think that our culture, like the Athenian culture, really, really needs people to introduce those topics into conversation with our generation. Would you like to stand with me? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us in these conversations. Jesus, we thank you that we know you. We thank you that we have relationship with you. And we thank you that we know that you are alive. And we thank you that that's made a huge difference in our life. And Jesus, our desire in in reading our story that's found in Acts, to read about Paul and what he's doing, our our desire is to, to learn to do what Paul and others did. We want to be empowered by you, Holy Spirit, to have conversation with people in our neighborhood, to initiate conversation with people in the classroom, 
conversation with people in the office, conversation with people on the job site, conversation with people in the grocery store or the service station. Empower us to be people who become agitated by the spiritual forces of darkness around us to the point that we want to have a conversation with those around us because we want people to come to know Jesus, to receive the benefits of his life, and to come into the fullness of the life of the resurrection. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom. Holy Spirit, give to us courage. Holy Spirit, enable us to handle some tough questions. Enable us to be ridiculed for our faith in Jesus and the resurrection. And yet, for not, that not to diminish our enthusiasm to deliver the message that you have for us to deliver to our generation. Holy Spirit, send us out to have good conversation with the people in our life, in your name. Amen. It seems that we could spend a little bit of time in ministry this morning as well with those of you that may feel a bit intimidated in initiating conversation with others, um, particularly people that would be unchurched, uh, maybe those that would be more philosophical, maybe in some sense we think others are smarter than us, but what, whatever. What, I think what our ministry time can be this, this morning is really inviting the Holy Spirit to really give us a boldness and a wisdom uh, to, to, to have good conversation, good discussion with people in our lives. So if you'd like to join me in our ministry, uh, kind of ministry corner over here, uh, we can spend some time in prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to empower us. For the rest of us, we can uh, enjoy hanging out a little bit longer with one another and uh, just pray that you have a great day. Thanks for our time together.